Please turn in your Bibles to the 19th Psalm, Psalm 19. We're going to be looking at the first six verses of Psalm 19 this morning. Let me read those to you now. This is the Word of God, as written by David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Down through the centuries, men have communicated messages in different ways. There were runners, the famous marathon runner who delivered his message and then collapsed dead after he had given it. There are the trumpets used by the people of God to call them to convocations, to assemblies, to a battle. Among the American Indians, there were drums and smoke signals. And then there was the Pony Express. Didn't last very long, but it served its purpose. Because along came the telegraph. And then there was radio, and then there was television. With our 21st century technology, we are very much aware of cell phones and smartphones and texting, and I'm still crawling into that age. Many messages come into our eyes and ears every day. And on top of all that technological stuff, we have people talking to us, parents have something to say to us, friends, teachers, we turn on the television, reporters, commentaries, we are being bombarded every day with all kinds of messages about information and we're trying to be able to absorb all that information. But let us not overlook one other important message that comes to us every day, and that is the message of the heavens. The message of the heavens. The Lord speaking to the prophet Isaiah said, Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? This is the point that David wishes to make in our text. So what is the message of the heavens like? There are four things. I'm going to mention them. One kind of a different but related thing. One thing, the message of the heavens is, it's a magnificent message. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. What do we mean by magnificent? We mean impressive, stately, exalted. We almost, our breath almost leaves us as we think about how magnificent the heavens are as we look up to the sky above, which is synonymous with the word heavens as translated in our English translation. Um, we think of the sun, of course, the moon, 
the stars, but I think it also includes clouds, the very space of the air, the size of what we, is up there above us. All of that, I think, is under the caption, the sky above the heavens. There's the, the old King James Version uses the word firmament. We don't use that word very much. But the firmament would especially be the arch of the sky as we consider it over our little planet. In Genesis chapter 1, we read that God set the sun and the moon in their place. And then there's kind of a throwaway line. Oh, yes, he also made the stars also. But in Genesis 1, Moses is focusing our attention upon our planet Earth and how important the sun is and the moon is to our daily life. Calvin called this the Theatrum Glorious, the theater of glory. Theater of glory. And how is this magnificent displayed? What do the heavens do? First of all, they declare something. They tell, they recount something of the glory of God. They also proclaim it. They set it forth. It's a message being set forth to planet Earth. Setting forth, namely, the glory of God. And the word for God there, the name for God, should I say, is not Jehovah, the covenant God of the people, but El, El, the powerful God, the almighty God. And, of course, we think of his might, almightiness with his creation. So the heavens are magnificent in themselves because they reveal a magnificent creator. So they're not to be worshipped as gods because God made them. But mankind has had a tendency to worship the stars and the planets for quite a while. David, the shepherd boy, could look up in his day and he could understand that God existed. How else did all this come about? He could recognize, even in his day, the omnipotence, the size of it, and so the omnipotence of God. The complexity of it, the balance of the stars always moving across the sky in the same way, the moon always doing its thing, the sun always doing its thing. And we think about God's uh, omniscience and wisdom. The beauty of it, you can think of God's goodness. Also, God's infinity, God's faithfulness as the planets go about in the heavens with regularity. His greatness, the forces of attraction, and certainly the majesty of it all, the brightness even of the night sky. David's astronomy was very limited, wasn't it, compared to what we know today. But my, how strong was his theology about God, the knowledge of God, as he looked up into the heavens, that magnificent display that God created. Secondly, the message of the heavens is perpetual. What do we mean by that word, perpetual? Well, we mean that it continues on a regular basis. It recurs time and time and time again. Verse 2, day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. The word is pours out. It's a constant, spontaneous speech gushing forth like a bubbling spring. That's the message. It's coming forth day by day. And it reveals something. God breathes out that message, that knowledge about not only his existence, but about his attributes that I just shared with you a moment ago. 
And despite the disturbances on earth, which divert our attention, despite our modern environment and our attention to focus on so much on our planet and our lives, that message continues day after day, night after night. It's like the Energizer Bunny. It just keeps going and going and going and going. It's perpetual. It's a perpetual message. Every day you hear it, every night you hear it. The idea then is a never broken stream, day to night to day to night to day to night to day to night, and on and on and on it goes. The message is always there, never ends. It's never killed by the silences or the judgments of men, the opinions of views of men. During the French Revolution, those who attacked Christianity said something like this, we will pull down all of your church steeples she will no longer have any object to remind you of your God. And the Christian response came back, you can do that, but you cannot pull down the stars. We are still reminded of our greater, our creator as we look up at the heavens. Despite our 21st technology and the increasing wave of secularism, the loss of contact with nature that many had in times past, the heavens always are up there. Whether you're looking at the sun in the daytime or the moon, stars, and planets in the nighttime. So, the message of the heavens is a magnificent message. It's a perpetual message. It is also a silent message. And that should capture our attention. What a silent message? How can a message be silent? This is a difficult Hebrew phrase that translators have struggled with. The English Standard Version that I'm using says in verse 3, There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Another way to put that is, no speech, no words, as we think of speech and words, yet the voice still is heard. The message still is heard. Another way you might approach it is, there's no speech, no words, because it's an inaudible voice. It's a silent voice. You are hearing my voice coming out of my mouth, with my vocal cords. It's an audible voice. But the message of heaven is not like that. We do not get up in the morning and step outside and we hear the voice of God as you're hearing my voice saying, Good morning! That's not the kind of message of the heavens that we would expect. The main idea, though, is the message is a silent one. The message of the heavens has an unusual language. No physical sound, no alphabetical symbols in the usual sense of word communication. It's a rather, it's a very much a, a strong argument from silence. What do we mean by an argument from silence? It means that while things may not be spelled out, there's a certain point being made by the very silence itself. And it invites attention a special way to the reality of God's glory. It's pictorial to the eye, but not audible to the ear. Now, this is a neat thing about this message of the heavens because there's no creaking, there's no rattling, there's no vibration, there's no friction, there's no static, there's no car sound, truck sound that blots out the message. We have none of those things. All kinds of modern voices are literally coming into our ears. But the message of the heavens is 
It's right there. Century after century, it's been speaking. Many a soul, probably some of you, have struggled at times with the silence of God. Especially in times of illness, calamities, deteriorating relationships, personal struggles daily. Some grind on for days and weeks, even years. Prayer seem unanswered. What a thing that is. The deafening silence of God. All the more reason then for us to look up the message of the heavens. Because God is responding to us with that message. He is speaking in that silence and saying, I have not disappeared. I am here. And I know all about you. I know what's going on in your heart. I know what's going on in your mind right now as you sit here in this auditorium this morning. I know about that. I know about your sin. And that's an important part of the gospel message. You cannot understand the good news of the gospel unless you understand the bad news of ourselves and our situation, our predicament. We need help. We need outside help. We need God's help. You might have noticed a phrase that I read for you from Ezra. Our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. When we stare up at the message of the heavens and understand God is up there revealing himself to us, and we look at our own lives, how far we have fallen short of the glory of God, we're humbled. But it's a message coming to us, even in that silence, how much we need the Lord Jesus Christ to be our Savior, to deliver us from our sinful predicament. So the message of the heavens is magnificent, it's perpetual, and it's silent. Fourthly, it is universal. First part of verse 4, their voice, as the voice of the heavens, goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. A fellow named Erling Olsen wrote this. Upon the blue sapphire of the firmament is spread a sheet of royal paper written over the wis- all over the wisdom and power of God. This book of creation is not sold at bookstores, but it is to be seen by everyone who lifts his eyes up to heaven. You see, the voice of the heavens is not disturbed by the problem of languages. When God brought the judgment upon Babel, what happened? People couldn't understand one another. When the apostles were set to go out on the day of Pentecost to be witness to the Lord, how were they going to communicate with all these people from different parts of the known world of that day? God gave them the gift of tongues to communicate in that language so they could do that. Missionaries who go to foreign lands often have to spend at least one, if not two years of language study. I would hate to go to Asia and try to learn Chinese or Japanese or Korean. <laughs> uh, it seems like it would be very difficult, at least for me it would be. Some people get it rather easy. But the message of the heavens doesn't have the language problem. It transcends human communication. There's no linguistic barriers. There are no geographical barriers. Yet it can be understood 
by everyone. Charles Swindoll has written that God built the canvas of the universe above us, and he painted his heavens there, which still displays his glory. He put it all together so that humanity throughout time would see the glory of God. The heavens are God's traveling preachers, if you will. God has them. That's why in Romans 1 and Romans 2, Paul can say, all men are without, uh, excuse me, I'm not quoting that correctly, all men are without excuse. Nobody can say at the final judgment, wait a minute now, I, uh, I didn't know, I didn't, God, I didn't know you existed. How can you hold me accountable for breaking your law? I didn't even know you existed. Oh, no. Because everybody has access to what? The message of the heavens. That's why no matter where you go in the world, explorers, missionaries, deep into jungle areas, uncivilized areas, what will they find? Some evidence of a, of a sacrifice, a little altar, an idol. And you communicate with people and they will say, we do this because we fear the God or the gods. We are where they exist or he exists or it exists. Where did they get that sense of that? Message of the heavens. It's there for all to see. And so what the Lord has done for missionaries, despite the hard work of language they have to learn, he's prepared the way for their work. Because when they start ministering to people in these other areas of the world, they already are aware that there's a God. And the missionary depending on the Word of God, says, I want to talk to you from this book about that God that you know exists. That God you know in your heart exists. And you look up to the heavens, somebody made that, I want to tell you about Him and how to get right with Him. I said those are the four things that stand out as characteristics of the message of the heavens, but there's one more point to make, because David as is kind of as an extra thing, but a very important thing. And that's what uh, I call the loudest voice, or the loudest voice coming up from the message of the heavens. And that, of course, is from the sun, S-U-N. End of verse 4. In them, that is in the heavens, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Probably it was the night sky that David had primarily in mind in verses 1 through 4. But then he said, you know, as as glorious as that is to reveal God, I cannot ignore the greatest thing of all in the daytime, which is what? The sun. I mentioned earlier how in Genesis chapter 1, the Lord reveals how he set the sun in a certain way, the moon in a certain way. And I've always been intrigued with that how the sun is just in the right distance from planet Earth, so we don't get too hot, we don't get too cold. The moon has a certain gravitational pull. It goes around, you know, once a month or so with its course. The sun has its particular course, and it's just balanced, just right. Well, the skeptic would say, well, it just happened to tumble that way by chance. Or the size and distance of the sun's temperature regulation just happened to provide the right amount of heat and light. 
But we who submit to the word of God understand God himself said it that way. Verses, the end of verse 4 and verses 5 and 6 present evidence for God himself being like the sun. God is, as it were, with the sun is like being put into a tent at night. And then in the morning, verse 5, comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, like a strong man running his course with joy. Two glorious examples to characterize the beauty and strength of the sun. And as he goes on to say in verse 6, it rises from the end of the heavens and circuits to the end of them. We know that. We call it sunrise, sunset. And it does it over and over and over. We come back to that perpetual idea, you see. Every day, the sun rises and the sun sets. The glory of the heavens come out at night. Then the next morning, the sun rises, the sun sets. Over and over and over again, the message is being pounded into the hearts of people on the earth about the glory of God. And notice what it says at the end of verse 4. There is nothing hidden from its heat, that universal idea. Everyone appreciates the heat of the sun, even places in northern climates where it gets very cold. There's not much sun, but there is a little bit of sun, and that certainly helps all who live here. So that's the message of the heavens as David reveals it to us in those first six verses. Now, what can we, how can we apply this to ourselves today? Let me start out with humility. True religion must begin here. We must be humble before an almighty creator God who is perfect in all his ways and properly have stand in awe of him and fear him and realize that our destiny is dependent on his work for us. And of course we know he's done that in the gospel through Jesus Christ. He has reached down to our planet and that message is being carried forth every week. Those who look up to the heavens and then proudly declare, I am an atheist. I don't believe there's any God. At that very moment, they reveal themselves either to be idiots or liars. Because they know deep in their heart there's a God. Even Immanuel Kant, a very famous non-Christian philosopher, he said, one thing that fills my soul with holy reverence and ever-growing wonder is the spectacle of the starry sky that virtually annihilates us as physical beings. He was greatly impressed with that message. He heard it. Regrettably, as far as we know, he did not respond to it through Christ. A second uh, lesson has to do with our worship. We're here today to worship. We call this a worship service. Well, we worship the Lord himself. We do not worship the stars, nor did David. We do not worship the moon or the sun or identify anything in nature and worship that. He understood the distinction between the creator and his creation. The creator only is the one we worship. So we don't supplement our worship with signs of the zodiac or share our astrological signs with one another. By the way, I'm a Pisces, by the way. Time and again, the Lord warned Israel, don't get involved with that kind of thing. Sometimes they did. Sometimes they heeded the warning. True worship can only be through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Another application is witness. 
almost every evangelistic presentation, as I mentioned earlier, can come across that point. Look up into the heavens. Who made all this? You have a contact with unbelievers. Even Charles Spurgeon, the famous Baptist preacher back in his day in the late 1800s, he said, the testimony given by the heavens is no mere hint, but a plain, unmistakable declaration, and it is a declaration of the most constant and abiding kind. Yet for all this, to what avail is the loudest declaration to a deaf man or the clearest showing to one spiritually blind? God the Holy Spirit must illuminate us or all the sons in the Milky Way never will. So we must not be discouraged. We have the point of contact with the unbeliever. He knows there's a God. You can share your faith. He might look like he said, I don't understand it, don't want it, turn away from it. But nevertheless, that persistent message of the heavens always is there day, night, day, and night. A fourth uh, lesson has to do with science. Christians should enjoy scientific endeavors. There's no reason for us to back away from what the telescopes are discovering way out there. No reason for us to not try to grasp the magnitude of the size of the universe, which goes beyond our, our thinking. We just can't, can't carry it forth beyond what they're discovering here. It's impossible to, to accept it, not to accept it, but to believe it. It's amazing. If David could see this with his naked eye and share what he did in Psalm 19, what about us who live in the 21st century with the Hubble telescope and so forth? Alexander McLaren wrote that dull ears do not hear these voices, but whether they are stopped with a clay of earthly tastes and occupations or stuffed with scientific wadding of the most modern kind, the ears that do not hear God's name sounded from the heavens above have failed to hear the only word which can make man feel at home. In nature. Now, of course, we call this general revelation. God has generally revealed Himself to everyone in the message of the heavens. We also need His special revelation, which we have in the Word of God, the written Word of God, as it sets forth the living Word of God, Jesus Christ. And so that's why we have missionaries, not only foreign missionaries, but missionaries at home here, and why we are a mission field even here in Corvallis. There's a passage in Romans 10 that talks about how shall they hear without a preacher? You know that passage? And it quotes, I ask, have they, they, all mankind, not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Quoting from verse 4 of Psalm 19. The universal special revelation of the gospel was foreshadowed by the general witness revealed in the message of the heavens. So God has prepared the way, as I said earlier, for our missionaries. He's prepared the way for you and for me. When we have a contact with an unbeliever, he's already prepared the way because that person already knows and understands. He's heard the message of the heavens. And then finally, a personal application for you and for me. How often do we take time to look up into the heavens, particularly at night? I don't recommend looking directly at the sun in the daytime, of course. When eclipses occur, warnings are given, don't do it. It'll hurt your eyes, ruin your eyes. But at heaven, at night, we can look up into the heavens. And, and yet, most people don't have any thought of doing that, except just to take notice of it. But it's a good thing for us to do, especially at nighttime, even with all the haze in our modern cities, 
to go out and look at the stars. Last night, right before I, I went to bed, I looked up, and there was the moon up there, peeking out through clouds. A very beautiful sight there. Clouds covered, and then it came back again. I thought to myself, that, that's God's message to me tonight, reminding me he created that moon, created the clouds. He created me. And I have responsibility to live for his glory. The danger of hearing only the things on planet Earth is very strong. I mentioned earlier, all the messages coming to us all the time. Don't neglect the message of the heavens. And one must enter into a personal relationship with the creator of those heavens. And that can only be done through Jesus Christ, who gave himself for sinners like us, that we might have that life. My concluding remark is this. The humblest Christian who sees and hears the message of the heavens is near the heart of the mysteries of the universe than the most respected, unbelieving, non-Christian scientist or astronomer who thinks they know everything but have not heard, they say they've heard, not heard it, but they refuse to acknowledge indeed what they have heard. A person has to be taught not to believe in God. For the magnificent message of the heavens is always there, silent, but in reality shouting to everyone, I, the one true God, exist. You must get right with me through my son Jesus. You can hear that message from me loud and clear. Join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you've revealed us to us yourself in the glory of the heavens and also in the marvel of our human bodies, how we have been created in the marvel of the beauty of flowers and trees and mountains and lakes and rivers, the power of the oceans. But you've also revealed yourself to us in your word through Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that. We praise you and help us to live to your glory, even as the message of the heavens does. May we reflect that in our daily life and leave here today with a renewed commitment to serve and honor you. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.